mashing up an incredible combination of Jewish textual learning and drinking all in one in a first of its kind place in Boston. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what we're going to be discussing here on the 122nd episode of The Jewish Drinking Show, bringing L'Chaim to life. I'm your host, Rabbi Drew Kaplan. I'm very excited to welcome first-time guest of the show, Rabbi Charlie Schwartz. Welcome, Rabbi Schwartz. Great to be here, Drew. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, I should say it's great to be here, really. I'm, I'm in your tavern. Yeah, welcome. Welcome Thank to you. Lair House. Absolutely. <laughs> so for those less familiar, Lair House, which we're recording in December of 2022, but it's supposed to open next month by the time this publishes. Bezrat Hashem. Yes, exactly. So we're here. Obviously, we have a, an empty bar behind us. But that's very exciting because it shows exactly when we are. And we're here. We're at Lair House. So for those less familiar, it's the first of its kind, at least in American history. Yeah. As a, as a sort of a joint learning center and Jewish tavern, sort of both. We like to, How? Yeah, we, we like to say that there's a long history of Jewish taverns. Jews yeah. were tavern keepers in Eastern Europe uh, for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. And there's a long history of, of Lehrhausen, of Batei Midrash, of houses of study. But they've never really uh, come together into one. So this is really one of the first places uh, that, that this has happened, certainly in North America, where you have both a Jewish tavern, yeah. a place to get some great Jewish food and great Jewish drinks, and learn some deep Torah as well. You don't need to convince me. As someone who, who would, I do eat, but I love drinking and Jewish learning and the marriage of those two. I'm, I'm enthralled. I'm excited. We're here. So how did the idea come about? Because it's no, I mean, we're here. I, I mean, whatever. It's, it's a space. That is a serious commitment. So how did this come about? Yeah, so uh, this is I, I'm working on this with a, with a partner, with yeah. Josh Foyer, who's one of the founders of Asfari and Alice Obscura, and just uh, is a great guy. Yeah. And we were, you know, we were friends, and we we worked in a co-working space together, and we actually were we were building a kitchen, a dining room table together for for a, a new space I was moving into. Yeah. And I think he he pitched this idea to me pre-pandemic. I think he was really? like he was like yeah he's like well, you know, what would happen if we did like a storefront. Uh, House of Learning Beit Midrash and I was like that's a horrible idea <laughs> I was like you, what did you think it was a horrible idea I just I was like who's gonna come to that <laughs> I was like that's like that's like that's like a horrible idea uh, and then the pandemic hit and we started talking about you know after after a year or so of isolation we started talking about like what it's gonna look like when people start coming back into public spaces and what yeah. are the needs gonna be and uh, how can we make sure that the, that the Jewish community is there in interesting and provocative and accessible ways. Mm. And so then we circled back to this idea of what does a storefront Beit Midrash look like? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we started talking about it and we started talking to people in the neighborhood about it and other folks. Yeah. And you know, about a year, year and a half later, like you and I are sitting at a bar. <laughs> Absolutely. So let me ask you, obviously this is the Boston area and you could have built it anywhere in Boston. Why specifically, this is Cambridge, right? Or yeah, well, or? this is where the first building in Somerville. So if you go one building over where it's Cambridge and we're technically <laughs> in, in Somerville. Okay, so why here? Yeah, so a combination of things. So if you drew like kind of like a one mile radius around where we are right now, it's the highest population, highest density of young Jews, like post-college. Wow. Uh, probably anywhere outside of New York City in uh, in, uh, in North America, just wow. in terms of, like, of density. Like yeah, there yeah. might be more in LA, but just like in terms of like a geographic yeah, yeah. spot. Uh, so that that's one. There's a lot. There's a lot of vibrant Jewish life in, in Cambridge and Somerville, but not a lot of Jewish infrastructure, not a lot of spaces. So like thinking about like also need in terms of what does a physical space look like, mm-hmm. and in terms of uh, planning a place that has its kind of uh, pedigree and orientation towards like an intellectual focus of, of Judaism, being in proximity to places like like Harvard and Leslie and, and Tufts and MIT is like it's a good it's a good spot to be because people are are always coming through here. Amazing. So. 
getting a space like this is not cheap. No. How did you go about raising the funds to make it happen? Yeah. So we have uh, so <laughs> a lot of failure. <laughs> it's like okay. a lot of yeah. a lot of pitches that went really really bad. <laughs> <laughs> They're learning lessons. Yeah. 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 Also, is it a five hundred one c three? Yeah. So we're the so, so there's a five hundred one c three that owns the LLC. So the kitchen bar okay. will be run as an LLC, uh-huh. whose only owner is the five hundred one c three. Because we also see the the kitchen as integral to the five hundred one c three's mission. Which enables us to do that. Amazing. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. So a lot of failure. Uh, that was that was number one. Um, and then we started talking to you know to national and local foundations and funders, um, and we started to articulate a vision of Judaism that's that's accessible and engaging and fun and playful, uh, and also like a new kind of Jewish space because you know this is not this doesn't feel there's like no model it, for this. There's no model for this. It, this doesn't. Feel, I mean, you tell me, but like this, we, we designed this to like feel very Jewish. But not feel like a synagogue. Yeah. Uh, feel very, very warm and accessible, mm-hmm. uh, and to have like a different kind of uh, unique identity. So we started nice. articulating that vision, and and we got we got some some people who were willing to take like a significant risk. Um, <laughs> we're still looking for more, uh, <laughs> but we found enough foundations and donors who uh, you know really really put. Money behind the idea that uh, that like great ideas take some risk. So what were what were they sold on? What, I mean, obviously you mentioned a lot of pitches that didn't go so well. But yeah. what were the ones that succeeded for you? The way you framed it, obviously it can. I imagine impact or just a, a place, a special space. How did you? Yeah. So I think it's it was a few things. One, we like as a space, we really want to push forward the idea of chavruta of mm-hmm. of paired learning. Mm-hmm. And so you know, part of the pitch is that. Uh, Chavruta is really the best Jewish idea that's yet to escape certain areas of orthodoxy, right? What? What do you mean escape? So, so uh, sorry, sorry, ag- sorry to, to non-orthodox to be, have equal access to it. Yeah, but but like to really ca- to really become popular outside of that, right? Um, outside of certain areas of orthodoxy, Maybe to even catch on, and is that even a better, catch is that a better on. Verb? Yeah. So catch so on. even even like when in liberal circles that I that uh, that I've learned in, like when we talk about Chavruta, oftentimes we're saying turn to the person next to you and look at this text. Not have a relationship over time mitigated by text, which uh-huh. is like when we get to like you know when you ask someone who went to rabbinical school who was your chavruta, you're not saying like who did you learn this random text with, you're saying like who did you have a relationship mm. of learning with, right? Uh-huh. So I think that's one of it, one of the one of the kind of core things. And as we like to say, it's it's in order to make something popular, you need to have like the material accessible, which Swaria is doing a great job of. Absolutely. We also need accessible spaces. Uh-huh. And like you know, if someone here who was not interested in synagogue life came to me and said like, where can I start learning, right? Yeah. Maybe I'd send them to, to Hadar for a uh, summer. Maybe I'd say like, you know, here's like some online resources. But there's yeah. no like, there's no like space to say like, no, this is a spot where you can really kind of start learning uh, in ways that are that are that are accessible. Do you but, think? Do you think that's deepened by the pandemic? Not having going to physical. Look, we can all do Zoom spaces forever. At the same time, there's probably a deep hunger or thirst for getting together over te- in person over text. Yeah. So, so I think there's like a higher desire. To be in person for people who can realize that not everyone, still not right, everyone right. can. Right, right. Um, so I do think there is that is that hunger, and that's you know that's one of the reasons why we're, we're not or thirst. That's another reason <laughs> that you know we're not planning to do Zoom classes or yeah. you know like we're putting a, a primacy on um, on physical space, yeah. realizing that like that that will exclude some people, just as like serving alcohol will exclude other people. Mm-hmm. So like yeah. we're, we are making some choices there. Um, so I, I definitely think that that's that's part of it. But even before the pandemic, there were folks who would like. Who would never set foot in, into a synagogue, right? Mm-hmm. Who like for whatever reason, yeah, and that will continue, and that will continue. And and like there's there's a there's a or hypothesis is like a lot of those people feel really comfortable walking into a bar, 
or feel really comfortable yeah, yeah. walking into a restaurant. And so, like, but we never dare set foot in a synagogue. But never dare foot, right. set foot in a synagogue. And we're not trying to do a bait and switch here. We're not trying to say like, you know, come to our like, you know, trendy, you know, jazz club. And here's Torah. And then, and then here's Torah. Like, like, <laughs> like this is like a Jewish forward, like, like Torah forward, like yeah. proposition that we're making here. Yeah. And we're saying that like everyone's welcome, right? Jewish, not Jewish. Like, if you're curious about Judaism, if you're not curious about Judaism, like one of our one of the ways we frame it is like you've been to people go to Irish pubs even though they're not Irish right. so come to a Jewish tavern um, that's brilliant the difference being that Irish pub is like a predefined genre that people that exists and Jewish taverns <laughs> not but you know uh, it's not, <laughs> not well yet. known I mean it, yeah, there's yeah. historical precedent in Poland and so yeah, forth yeah yeah the Kretschmann like there's a whole yeah there's a whole history yeah, absolutely yeah. hey I hope you're enjoying this episode with Rabbi Schwartz he just mentioned Jewish tavern keepers I'm very curious to hear more. Hopefully you are. Here's a sneak peek into next week's episode on exactly this topic. It's not just men. Women, the wives of tavern keepers, were very much respected for the advice that they would provide. Oh, wow. The baking skills they had mm-hmm. on Christian. And often, you know, I found... Hmm. I, I wonder how much of that is, you know, alcohol serves as a social lubricant. So people are opening up, maybe they're, sounds like they're, they're looking for dating or, or, you know, match opportunities. I'm sure the alcohol plays a role, but really there, there's, there were these folk sayings, when in doubt, go to Sarah. I hope you enjoy that sneak peek into next week's episode. No back into this episode featuring Rabbi Schwartz. Having heard you on the Identity Crisis podcast talk, uh, talking about foods, right? So foods, but also more importantly, beverages, but not just random foods and random beverages, specifically with historically Jewish context around them. So yep. how did you, can you give us a sampling, a sense of both the foods and the beverages that will be served? Yeah, so we're working with Naomi Levy, who she she is really one of the best bartenders in Boston right now. Uh, she runs the Maccabee Bar pop-up, which there's two here in Boston and one in New York for the first time this year. Uh, so she's really driving our beverage program. And she has like a, I, I would describe her as like a flavored genius uh, in general wow. and, and particularly when it comes to, to Jewish flavors. And so one of her, her driving ideas is like taking these Jewish flavors and reimagining them, reimagining them through cocktails. Wow. So uh, examples are like a Hawaii espresso martini. So an espresso martini with like that Yemenite warming spice. It's very common in, in okay. Jewish Temani food. Uh, a spicy schlug margarita. So taking like schlug and putting it into a uh, margarita. So it's like herbaceous. Oh. And, and spicy. It's, it's really, it's really something. It sounds incredibly delightful. Uh, and then you know, to go like you know, we're we're not just focused on Israeli food, but kind of going ste- like stepping larger to the the broader Jewish diaspora. So yeah. she has one that's uh, pepitatas, which is a drink that uh, many Sephardic Jews have immediately after a fast. It's roasted melon seeds. So huh. pepitatas, applejack, and just like a little hint of arak. Uh, so kind of <laughs> it sneaks in at the end. Wow. So you know, so so. So telling Jewish stories and stories of the Jewish diaspora through uh, through the beverages, um, but like we we we're trying to hit the balance where if you want to go deep and learn all these stories, you can, yeah. or you can just sit down and have a really good cocktail made by like one of the best bartenders in in Boston, if not North America. So wow. how'd you get in touch with her? Send her an email. That's great. That's <laughs> yeah. amazing. Awesome. Yeah, it was um, it was a it was a it was an email telling her what we're doing, and yeah. um, and she was excited by it. Amazing. So. And then the food, and what are a few of the dishes? Yeah, so the food it, you know, takes a similar tact in terms of telling stories of the Jewish diaspora, mm-hmm. uh, but through, through flavor profiles. Uh-huh. You can go deep on them, or you can just like, have some delicious bar food. Yeah. Uh, so uh, fish and chips. Which we need more of. Yeah. <laughs> so, in America, we need more kosher bar. Yeah, and, and so bar uh, fish and chips with amba vinegar and Old Bay French fries. Fish and chips coming from uh, Spartak Jewry up through, through England. Uh-huh. Uh, amba being that amazing tangy kind of... Of uh, pickled mango chutney from 
um, <laughs> Iraqi Jews that, that got, it, uh, got the flavor profiles from trading with India. And then Old Bay, which I, I'm going to reclaim as a Jewish food, was <laughs> invented in 1939 in Maryland uh, by a refugee from Frankfurt, Germany. Uh, so so that, that's, like, that's one example. example. We're going to be doing a, uh, a lentil stew with Ethiopian spices, kind of drawing from, from the Ethiopian Jewish community. Uh, smoked beet Reuben. Uh, so you know, <laughs> kind of like the the kosher take, but you're really curing and smoking those beets to give it that little the the meaty texture to it. So, wow. yeah, I could keep going if you want, but <laughs> <laughs> I'll just I'll get so hungry. Yeah. So this is incredible. So we've talked about some of the, the obviously the culinary aspects, the drinks. So the learning, obviously, hopefully there'll be incredible opportunities for the crossover between drinking and learning, because as we all know, drinking can provide it, it's a social lubricant, but it can also provide a fascinating intellectual lubricant as well. My question is, so the learning. So you mentioned earlier the, the idea, the tool of Chavrusa or Chavruta. How do you plan to deploy that? Also, you mentioned also on the Identity Crisis episode that you're partnering with Sean Hartman Institute. So is that for text or, or how does that work and what's going on? Yeah, so we have three main content partners right now. Amazing. We have um, Hebrew College, which is basically here in Boston. Yeah. Hart, the Shalom Hartman Institute, which is of North America, which also has, has a Boston presence now. Yeah. And, and Hadar, uh, oh, cool. which also has a Boston presence now. So okay. like, those, are, those are like our main content partners. Yeah. So we're, we're building out a small study like classroom space in the back, uh-huh. uh, which you know, can fit like 15 to 20 folks. And so like, the idea is like, you know, fill that room as much as possible with as much Torah as possible. Amazing. And then like, have, you know, have the local people who are coming through uh, teach classes as well. Mm-hmm. And then we're also developing uh, an approach that we call learning guides. So mm-hmm. people that you can schedule time with here at, at Lair House. Oh, neat. Uh, bring a friend and like, kind of like, have that first on-ramp into Jewish learning. So it's like uh-huh. Jewish learning is something that you've maybe heard about or want to access or like, want to explore. So you can, um, you can schedule an appointment for, with someone and, and sit down and, and, and start learning. Mm-hmm. On top of that, we're going to do some, some larger public events We'll, we'll take uh, notable Jews who either have chavrutas or don't. A lot of it turns out that a lot of actually a lot of people lot already of, do. A lot of famous Jews, yeah, that you really? yeah have have chavrutas, chavrutot. Yeah. So um, and and do some like public public chavruta, like uh-huh. showing like here's you know here is here are two people that you might be interested in who have interesting things to say. Chavruta modeling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So do that that public display. Wow. So how much is it ad hoc? People to just stop by. Aside from the you know the, the scheduled learning sessions you can do, are there uh, more long term like how does that work yeah so the like a it. fellowship like yeah no it's it's more it's more ad hoc like uh, the, the idea we're not trying to be a rabbinical school here mm-hmm. like we're not trying to be a institute for for Jewish learning mm-hmm. we're trying to be a space where Jewish learning happens mm-hmm. uh, which doesn't like, if you think about it like we have synagogues we have JCCs but like yeah. we don't and like in the synagogue sometimes there's a baby rush but we don't actually have places where like if you want to engage in the act of learning as like a marker of your Jewish identity or just something interested in, like that doesn't really, where does that happen, right? Um, so no fellow like we're not going to have a fellowship where you can come but we'll have like classes that you come to that will happen on a regular basis and that's we'll more have in spaces. the or maybe on Sundays in the daytime it's, it's going to be a mix um, it's going to be a mix uh, and we're going to have to feel it out because I don't know if you feel this way but uh, like post pandemic like figuring out what schedules are and what people can tolerate and what I can tolerate <laughs> it's like it's like you know if you'd asked me pre-pandemic, I'd be yeah, we'll do like a, a series of six to eight classes. Like you'll have to sign up for all of them. We'll create a community with them, and like yeah. no problem. And now I'm like, maybe we should do three classes, and they'll all be dropping. <laughs> so it's <laughs> like like figuring out where people are in, in terms of that. Um, and I think starting light, and then you know, and then ramping up. Amazing. Uh, the the hope is like 
you know, we'll have tavern hours from 4 p.m. into the evening, uh -huh. but the hope is to, to have what we're calling House of Learning Hours, so like a low level of membership where people can, can swipe in. We'll have some light coffee service going so people can drop in throughout the day. Oh, cool. So, yeah. When you say tavern, obviously I think drinks, but also food-wise? Yeah, full so kitchen. So pre four, yeah. it'd be mostly just coffee. Coffee, snacks, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, for like a member, you know, membership only, and then yeah. uh, opening the public in the evenings. Amazing. Hey there, I wanted to break in again. And just last month, I went out to a couple different places beyond Cincinnati. Pretty crazy, right? And they enjoyed my content here. Hopefully you're enjoying the content here. And they said, we want to have Rabbi Drew come to speak to our folks, to our shul, and talk about Jewish wisdom on drinking, talk about the whiskeys, talk about tastings, and more. And that's exactly what I did. I think they enjoyed it quite well. And if you're interested in bringing me to bring Lachaims to life, feel free to email me at drew at jewishdrinking.com. Thank you. Now back into the show. People listening to the show usually love drinking, but not everybody does. And certainly in Jewish life, people can be a little ambivalent about it. So how has that been, A, just with regards, to whether for funders, whether for potential partners with the, the mix of drinking into it, but also, you know, the hectored piece of it. I mean, are there uncomfortabilities and ambivalences how does that work yeah i mean i would say that that by and large people by and large people are excited as as long as like as long as we frame it as like like no one is being forced to drink we're gonna have non-alcoholic you know oh. options like all oh, you are all yeah oh, all, all those things which is like standard for bars because like the the, you know, the idea like the knowledge that like alcohol is a double-edged sword right uh -huh. is like it, it can serve as a social intellectual lubricant and it can like bring out like the um, the worst tendencies in people as well yeah. so um, like really calibrating for that mm -hmm. you know the, re the real challenge with like uh, with kosh root is that there are drinks that are that are but, sorry no, no I just want to yeah. insert everything is kosher right it'll be under yeah, kosher yeah we're, okay. we're being we're, we're certified that's very accessible Yes. Jewishly accessible. Jewish, Make it Jewishly, all kosher certified. Jewishly accessible. Wonderful. The, the challenge is that uh, a lot of the core components for many classic cocktails yeah. aren't under hashkacha. Uh -huh. Like, will never be under hashkacha and might not be might not, might not be kosher lechila. Like right? what? Yeah. So, uh, so green chartreuse, great example, uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, like, like uh, it will that will never be under hashkacha. Uh, it's like even if you went to the plant, like it probably it probably is you know, it a wine base. I don't know. I think it's. I a just have stayed away from. it. I, I think know. it's a neutral. I think it's actually like a neutral spirit, but yeah. uh, but like it's you know the, the process is secretive. Uh -huh. um, vermouth is another one, right? Uh, if you want, <laughs> I know a lot of people make their own vermouths because getting yeah. co good kosher vermouth in America does not exist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we'll we'll end up. So that's what we'll end up doing. Just is create like, own house we, vermouth. We yeah right? exactly. Yeah. So we we uh, we hunt. We're hunting for for. For uh, for vermouth, um, for a good vermouth. If anyone out there works for Ketem, this is the moment to up your game. I'm, I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> It'll be a lot easier if you just make your house <laughs> yeah, vermouth. So, so that's what we're going to end up needing. By to the way, do. you should know. I started with some other guys in the neighborhood making our own kosher vermouth because it can be a lot more flavorful than even what you can get from Israel. Yeah, yeah. and if you're if you're at your house yeah. and you're doing that, that's fine. And if you have to think about like labor costs on that vermouth, <laughs> then it's like it, it changes, yeah. right? Um, so you know, it's once you put that modeling in it, it becomes super interesting, right? Right? Yeah. Where it's like the bar down the street can buy like a middle of the road vermouth to mix with like you know with any cocktail because it doesn't have to be something special. Yeah. Um, but think about that. You come to Lair House, you get a kosher, a good kosher Manhattan. For yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the other, yeah. the other, like just like super interesting tangent, double side of this is that like. Yeah. 
most people, many people who keep even like a pretty strict level of kashrut, yeah. still feel comfortable drinking in a bar, right? Yeah. Uh, not everyone, like like not everyone, but many people. Just random, regular bar. Regular bar, yeah. right? So like the competitive competitive advantage of being a kosher bar is like very minimal, right? It's <laughs> like like because like because like a, the vast majority of like our potential clientele by being kosher like would just eat, drink at a normal bar, right? So like there's a whole. Whole yeah. like kind of story there. Yeah. Um, yeah so, but, but you you could get kosher Manhattan's or any other vermouth yeah. based drinks. That yeah. would be a, a yeah. competitive so, advantage in the Boston. Exactly. Area. Exactly. So yeah. So we're planning to make our own vermouth. We'll probably end up making our own Irish cream. There's like Tony. like you know there's a lot of like those botanicals that like we won't be able to you know we won't be able to reproduce. But there's like you know I, I like to say that Luxardo is doing. Uh, Doing a, a hero's work in supporting the Jewish cocktail community because, like, they've, they're under the the London Beitin, uh, most yeah. of their stuff, and Amazing. and they do like a lot of like kind of close comparisons to some of those harder to, to get kosher ingredients. Wow, so, Amazing. yeah, yeah, That's little great. little inside baseball for you. <laughs> That's good. So going back to the the certifying piece of it, was yeah. there any ambiguity, like ambivalence around that, or they were just on board? Um, so far, they've been on board. You okay. know, we'll see. You know, we'll see what happens uh, as things go forward. But mm-hmm. so far, you know, we're we're working with um, the Vatakash Root of Boston, uh, cool. the Vada Rabbanim, mm-hmm. and so far they've been very communicative and very supportive. And they're they're interested both in um, they're they're interested both in, in there just being like more kosher options in, in Boston, which there you know there's some good solid options here, but they're not as many as uh, as you might expect for a community like this. Mm-hmm. And I think like not not all of them, but a lot of the rab- uh, the rabbis there are very interested in like our you know. Yagdil Torah Vedir, like this is a place where we can actually um, mm-hmm. can work to glorify Torah. Amazing. So. Lairhouse, how'd you come up with the name? Even though there's already a really incredible website called Lairhouse. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Lairhouse is a throwback to 1920s Frankfurt, Germany, uh, Franz Rosenzweig. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an institute of, or an organization dedicated to Jewish learning for adults. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, had the, uh, you know, he had the idea that um, the academic bent of Jewish learning was uh, was not helpful for people in the same way that like um, connecting them deeply with Jewish texts might be in, in a let's say quasi spiritual or like a, a more personal way. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so we, so we kind of grabbed from that tradition. Yeah, uh, it was never a, a tavern. So we're we're, we're grabbing from that mm-hmm. tradition and that history and pushing yeah. it forward. You know, as I said, it, it was never a tavern in Frankfurt. It was, it was more <laughs> a series of salons. Uh-huh. Uh, you call it a Jewish salon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> So uh, they never served, I don't think they ever served drinks there. Yeah. Uh, but it was still like, you know, this idea of, of what might it mean to make Jewish learning more accessible and how might the Jewish community be transformed by that. I wanted to break in really briefly. I'm Rabbi Drew, your host and founder of JewishDrinking.com. Turns out as of this fall, the IRS has recognized Jewish drinking as a 501c3 organization. You are always welcome to make donations. If you have any questions how to do so, can check out the website or even simply email me at drew at jewishdrinking.com. Thank you. Now back into the show. So kitsch. Okay. So one of the design notes of this place is that we want to create a, a Jewish space uh-huh. that is joyful and fun and playful and deep, yeah. but not kitschy. Oftentimes a default in the Jewish world is, you know, if you're going to make a, a new kind of Jewish space is to make it really kitschy. Uh, and we are, we're trying to lean away from that. Uh, and make something nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we, we understand the drive towards kitsch. And so <laughs> we, have, we have a plan. Uh, we call it the pun box because everyone likes making puns, especially in Jewish bars. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like to say like it's a slippery slope when you start making puns at a, in a Jewish tavern that you pretty, pretty soon you end up in Bar Papa land. And then it's just all, all Bar Papas. That's great. Um, 
But so we're going to. You'll do Siumim. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> we, we do want to assume Bell, where it's like when you. <laughs> yes. When you finish, the when you finish something, uh, like you, you ring the bell. That, is, like, that uh, is kitsch, bar, Jewish yeah, learning, just yeah. like a. So, uh, you know, kitsch on the sides. But it's we like want a triple a, word score. Exactly. We, <laughs> yeah. want a, we want a pun box where uh, if you have a pun, because like, people are going to have puns. I have puns yeah. all the time. Or just uh, put it on a board, like a dry oh, erase board. No, no, because we don't want to fill the space with puns. Because also puns like create like very much like an inside outside, right? So it's oh. like if you like if you fill a space with puns, then it's very clear who a space is meant for. It's wow. for the people who understand those puns, right? Okay. So, uh, so but puns still have value. So you know we'll have a pun box where you can write down a pun, put it in the pun box every month. We'll select the best pun from the pun box. Okay. You'll get like I don't know free order French fries or something. We'll put it on our <laughs> social media. So it's like we want your puns to be seen, right? Like like yeah. they have value. And we don't want what to about pop- the up. And I mean. we don't want to populate the space with them. So okay, yeah. Seum yeah. Bell is brilliant, though. Seum Bell, yeah. I think that was Sarah Wolkenfeld's idea. I Amazing. think she was in the space and she was like, "What if you had a Seum Bell?" <laughs> so having yeah. heard it, I don't know how you can't have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to say, it was like a I think I believe it was Sarah Wolkenfeld's idea from. Are Sparia. there are there other? I, I mean, other kitschy fun. Like you said, with where the merging of bars and Jewish humor. Yeah, well, so we we have a lot of rejected ideas. Uh, Okay. So um, we were going to have like a Zoltan fortune teller machine. But instead of Zoltan, it was going to be Rambam because, like, like oh, if you like, like that, man. that like yes. the statue room in Cordoba, like it, it, it is a turban, like it, it looks kind of like that. And instead of sp- spitting out fortunes, it's going to be random mission of Torahs. How is that rejected? Yeah, so that, that one got rejected. Another was like um, a condom. Someone out there is going to listen to this yeah. to say that needs to happen. That needs to happen. <laughs> Another is a condom machine that, um, that that gave out little those little like kind of uh, black keypot. No, <laughs> the black keypot. Uh-huh. Uh, but that also got rejected. Uh-huh. Uh, but but we're working. We're, we have a category of thing that we're calling magical Jewish objects. Oh. So like things that that. Um, that these are, are rejected or real? These are real. Oh, so, are. I mean, they're not really mad. I mean, depends on how you define magic. No, but they're going to happen. They're going to happen, okay. yeah. So we have, we have things that we're calling magical Jewish objects yeah. that are those like uh, kind of points of intrigue that, uh, that ask for you to engage with them, mm-hmm. that have some depth to them, uh, and that can kind of populate the space in interesting ways so that when, you, when your eyes are wandering around, you're seeing you know, mm-hmm. interesting books and maybe some, uh, some plants and, and, some, and some alcohol and these kind of objects that, that invite you to engage with them. Amazing. So, we're still developing them and figuring them out, and they'll they'll change uh, over time. But yeah, magical Jewish objects is a category we're trying to we're trying to define. That's really cool. Yeah. All right. So going back to learning, you said you're partnering with Hadar Safarian and Shalom Hartman Institute in North America. So what generally would you describe the content as being? Yeah. So three, are, are there like buckets, areas? Like yeah. You, I mean, as like like largely speaking, like text, like text learning. We want to create right. like a pretty narrow lane of of learning text. Are there certain content areas? For the text, or just anything? Just text across the board. Like, the more people that can be engaged in the learning of Jewish texts mm-hmm. writ large, so, you know, you, from the Talmud, from Gemara, to literature, to poetry, to yeah. philosophy, to history, uh-huh. to, we have a, we have an ever-growing cookbook section, because, like, oh. you have, uh, like, like, food is also, you know, uh, food is also Torah. Um, so, so thinking wi- widely about what text is, but like really uh-huh. focus on that. So, we're not actually licensed for live music or for for like for movie screenings, and oh, we don't plan to be in the near future to uh-huh. really kind of to create that that yeah. more narrow narrow lane. But we think about like kind of three large buckets of the types of programming. So, yeah. large public events that. Uh, that highlight what Hebrew can be. Uh-huh. Uh, small classes, you know, the fifteen to twenty in our in our study space, mm-hmm. and then one-on-one learning. So, you know, like finding the ways to really spur those. And those. that people could contract with you or someone. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. 
Yeah, so, uh, and then also thinking about, you know, who's in this community, who's coming through this community, uh, who are natural fits for, for Lairhouse, because again, our proximity to all these great universities, uh, and, and just the, what the you Cambridge bring, You're saying bringing scholars? Or, yeah, 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 for teaching. Amongst those texts, what about drinking texts? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's my passion. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. There. By the way, one, one of the whole things about Jewish drinking is there's a lot in our tradition, yet goes unexplored. So that could be... Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to... It's not... Uh, it's... it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to contribute. Drew, what are, what are you doing next week? Uh, <laughs> um, uh, it's not... You know, uh, there's, we, we've thought about, like, what, what do... Um, what do coasters with some of those cortex look like, or or things like that? Yeah. Uh, and like we, we do have a a, a growing list. Oh, are you of putting Jewish... text on coasters? Uh, it's it's one of the ideas. Idea. It's one of the ideas. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely on there. Um, I wouldn't say it's like a, a top top priority. I, what I would right. say is well, when, when we're thinking when we're thinking about the text to teach, yeah. we want them to be like ex, like at least at about least for like the Jewish identity building probably. I I, or, I don't care like. What, that I care less about. I, okay. I honestly, because like the minute you step in the space, and you're looking at a text. I like you're building your Jewish identity. Okay. Like whether you're Jewish or not, <laughs> it's like um, no. It's more like texts that are like have like have are accessible. At least at least for like we. we I want to have like a, a a large range of here. Like I want like a high level Talmud here going here. Like so at least once a week for yeah, yeah. people who like have learned. Like like that's what we want. So awesome. not everything is is like that entry level on ramp. Yeah, right. but for that stuff, like the texts need to be like accessible, entertaining, and relatively short. Right. Some of those drinking texts definitely are, Absolutely. right? Um, Talmudic drinking stories. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, so, but like, if it's not accessible, right? Uh-huh. So if like, if I have to explain like what, you know, I don't know, even what the Omer is, like right, all of a sudden it's like, I've, uh, I yeah. need like five texts, right? Yeah. Um, uh, any of that stuff, like there's like a whole, you know, we keep going, but texts that are accessible from, from uh, an ideas and contents perspective, texts that are entertaining, that you'll leave like being like, huh, that was, <laughs> that was yeah. interesting, and, uh, and texts that are relatively short. So, Neat. yeah. That's great. Yeah, There's a criteria. So, Charlie, this has been absolutely fascinating, insightful, interesting, and most you know, exciting, appetizing, all the great things. But before we go, is there anything you would like to promote? Just next time you're in the Boston area, uh, swing by Lairhouse. We're going to be up and running in the in the coming months, and it's going to be fantastic here. Awesome, All right. Charlie. Thank you so much, and l'chaim. L'chaim, l'chaim. l'chaim.